Thank you again for bringing your presence to the meeting today. I'm going to bring up a, uh, a Zen case, as I, as I often do. This, this case is from a collection called the, the Gateless Gate. Interesting title, The Gateless Gate. And that, that really is what we <clears throat> come into contact with in our practice of sitting meditation. We sit at the, uh, at the gate, the gate of awareness. And sometimes it can feel like there's a, a barrier or a block or a gate between us and uh, a deeper realization or a deeper peace or satisfaction that we would like to realize. But that's not a, a gate where we can find any keyhole or handle to turn. It's hard to find that. It may feel that way, but it's hard to identify the gate. But the title of this particular collection, um, well, I'm not sure if it's helpful when it says it's a gateless gate. Okay. So there's no real block or real barrier here that's presented to us, although it may, may appear that way. Meditation in its slow, steady, daily, weekly, yearly practice is a wonderful art that helps dissolve the sense of separation that we may feel in life from, from others and the world around us. So I'll bring up the case. The case is uh, case, case 17 from the Gateless Gate, the National Master's Three Calls. Okay, so the National Teacher called to his attendant three times, and three times his attendant responded, and three times his attendant responded. The National Teacher said, I thought I was standing alone with my back to you. But now I find that you are standing alone with your back to me. So here's our, our koan today. The national teacher, whose name was, let me see, Kokushi. So the national teacher, Kokushi, called to his uh, attendant. We still maintain that tradition in the Zen tradition now as, as a... Um, as an apprentice somewhat or as a student will train in the position of jisha or, or attendant. That's somebody who uh, takes care of uh, and supports the, the teacher. We, we have that practice still at Yokoji. It's an old practice. And in many different walks of life, we, we still uh, follow something of an apprenticeship model. Right? One, one person who is more accomplished or, or senior in, in, in a skill or an art, teaches uh, and, and instructs uh, a pupil who, who works alongside them, learning what they can learn from that person until it's time for them to to graduate or to, or to, or to uh, move on as a, as a teacher themselves. And this is true in the Zen tradition. So we have the, the teacher who's called the, the national teacher at this time. And this is set in 
This is China, uh, somewhere uh, around the 700s AD, give or take uh, 50 years or, or a century. The national teacher, Kokushi in this case, was a successor of the sixth ancestor of Zen, Daikin Eno, who's one of the pivotal figures in the, in the Zen tradition. Uh, who was uh, a an, uh, an uneducated and uncultured uh, person from the uh, very far south of China, who who travelled north to practice Zen, and became uh, a successor in the Zen tradition. But then, due to his uh, um, due to the prejudice in uh, of the time, with him being from. Uh, a southern part of China, which was considered um, foreign territory, uh, he wasn't accepted as as the teacher and had to uh, hide himself in the mountains and practice for uh, anonymously for many years until the political winds and the culture of the day shifted somewhat. And this set up a tradition in 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 Zen Buddhist practice, which still actually exists. Uh, to this day in certain places of, of Japan, where someone who has apprenticed to the Dharma with a teacher and becomes independent and receives permission uh, to teach or is acknowledged as a teacher, will first go into anonymity and obscurity for uh, 10 years before teaching. Uh, to go go get a go to go get a, a regular job and and disappear for a while, and this is done. Uh, it said also to remove any stink of Zen, which I, I appreciate that. You know, to remove the identity of uh, some some attainment or or accomplishment of being like I did it. Look at me, I'm the teacher now. Right? That's that's not what we want. And so people would literally go away in that case. There was uh, one of the great teachers in the, in the Rinzai Zen tradition, um, Kanzen Egan. It said when his teacher was about to pass away, and he was a teacher of the emperor. National teacher means teacher of the emperor in China. So when Kanzen Egan's teacher was about to pass away, they said, who is your successor going to be? And he said, oh, there was somebody from some years back, Kanzan. Kanzan understands you should, you should go find him. And nobody knew where Kanzan was. What had happened was he had taken on this practice of anonymity and he had gone far into the north, in, in this case in, in Japan, and he worked as a peasant farmer for 10 years. In his, and he was in his 60s when he began that, that work. Which um, medieval, late medieval Japan peasant farmer would appear to be a tough gig to me, right? I mean that 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 was not something easy to do, but he but he went off and did that in anonymity. Right? And this will this will weave back to the thread that I wanted to to bring up about uh, what it is to really to be uh, independent. You know the the emperor's. Um, the people, the emperor instructed to find Kanzan, eventually found him up in the north and brought him back to be the national teacher. This is a different national teacher, Kakushi, here from centuries before in China. But also upon 
um, realizing his, his nature through realizing uh, the truth of um, the Buddha's enlightenment, coming into alignment with reality, he too was someone who said, okay, then, um, you know, no need to um, do anything fancy here. I will retire to the mountains and, and live uh, a simple life in a, um, in a small temple. And, so, and that's, what, that's what he did. He retired and said that he lived with uh, a practitioner friend and they, they did meditation and lived very simply. But eventually the, um, the previous national teacher had come in to pass on and, and again needs to find a successor and says, uh, Kakushi is, is the, next, the next person, you should go find him. And he was asked to become the emperor's teacher, to which he said, no, thank you very much. <laughs> very politely, I'm sure, but declined to come to the capital and to be the emperor's teacher. It was said in those times in, in China that, you know, they had certain mystical ways of uh, doing things and uh, you could, you could decline three times, but that was it. And, and you're at risk of your life if you turn down uh, somebody clearly as important as the emperor. So teachers of the day, they'd be asked to do something and they'd say no, and then they'd go on the lam. They, they'd, they'd, go, <laughs> they'd go on the run to try and get away from having to take on the responsibility or, or get in the limelight of being the emperor's teacher. And But, you know, he was found again and he was asked again. And on the third time he was asked, he had to... He had to consent. And then it said that his, uh, his friend, his fellow practitioner, was uh, so upset with him that ex accepting fame and glory that he said, uh, you and I are done talking. <laughs> so there's some, there, there's, some, there's some backstory. And then, so the national teacher there, you know, he uh, becomes the emperor's teacher and he continues teaching. And he only has one successor eventually. Sometimes teachers will have, and Dharma teachers will have many, many successors. In our lineage, Ber I mean, Bernie Glassman, whose, whose work I, I really appreciate and I bring up sometimes. I don't know. It's like, I'm not actually sure, like 20 or 30 or something like that successors. Other, um, Maizumi Roshi, my teacher's teacher had 12 successors. My, Tenshin, my teacher has, five or, or, or six, including myself. Some people, then it's just one. The original standard of the day was um, you would only um, give approval to somebody who saw clearer, clearer than you did. Right? And what a wonderful standard that is for apprentice, for teacher and apprentice. But the shadow of that is, is most lineages who kept that system up went extinct. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Hard to say. Here, you know, the national teacher calls to his attendant, Tangan, calls out three times. And the attendant responds three times. Tangan. Yes. Tangan. Yes. Tangan. Yes. 
And at this, somewhat cryptically, the national teacher said, I thought I was standing alone with my back to you, but now I find you're standing alone with your back to me. And calling out this three times. What is, what is going on here? Are you ever in the house where, where somebody calls you? Sometimes my son will, will, will shout, Dad! From like 12 feet away in the next room, you know? And I'll be, yes, sounding a bit annoyed. Ah! He shouts again. I'm like, what? And then, you know, it gets ridiculous. And then, <laughs> like, come in here and talk to me if you want, you know? But sometimes we'll do that. Sometimes we're called. You know, and then we, and then we, and then we respond. It was uh, one of my Zumi Roshi's teachers, Koryo Roshi, back in the early days of uh, when these exotic teachers from eastern climes came to the western shores, and they, you know, were, were experimenting with. Uh, meditation in the in the late 60s and the 70s out here and seeing what's going on it said that they um they they connected him up a science experiment where they put some put some wires and electrodes on him so they could measure his responsiveness and he rang a bell and there was a certain response, alpha waves or, or whatever that is. I know very little about it. So there was a, a bell and there was a response. And then they rang the bell again and the same response. And then they rang the bell again, same response. Now in our, in the practice of our like everyday practice of our lives, we, we always have the opportunity to look into presence, to just being present. You know, I have a, a good friend who was instrumental in my, my education, in my, my, my training in this, in this area, who know a lot about the collections of the teachers or have a lot of formal Dharma understanding. But he had really very much come into alignment with being present, just being present. And whenever we would talk, he would just say, he would make a remark about what was currently happening, what was going on now, which I, I found both frustrating but then with some with some time and experience, very simple and, and and a beautiful a beautiful teaching. You know, as as human beings we have this, I'm sure you do, I I do, or maybe it's just me, so raise your hand if it doesn't apply to you. But I I, I will find myself um, drifting into the internal monologue of me. Right? The the, the commentary and the one that comments on the world, the, 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 the narrator of all that is occurring in the inner world. And a lot of that is concerned even with um, things that have occurred previously, things that are to come later, perhaps. Now, building uh, images of people and things, 
which are only perhaps partially true, if that. You know, we we live and practice or drift into and become identified with this um, inner world, which is really identified with the the me project, the project of me. When we do so, and our and we spend too much too much time in that in that arena of self, right, the idea of me that feels separate from the world that surrounds each one of us, then slowly and inexorably, we drift further and further out of sync with the way things actually are. We lose touch with our environment, which is always new, which is always the first ring of the bell, which is always appearing as this in its multitude of colors and shapes and sounds that it becomes obscured and we drift out of alignment and so we we practice and apply the salve of mindful present aware practices of which meditation is such a uh, primary primary practice it really is medicine for the body-mind to be able to sit still, to be quiet, to stop chasing after objects of mind, to let go of story and commentary, and rather to feel directly, experience and touch directly, that which is real. And that which is real always appears now, always appears with the sound of the bell, whether the bell struck once, twice, three times, ten times. You know, we ha of course have this impulse. We hear something. Wow, that's interesting. We hear it again. That's not so interesting. <laughs> we hear it a third time. Okay, now I'm bored. <laughs> Now I'm moving on to something, something else. Right? Same old, same old. And life, you know, for, for me, life can have that, that dulling down quality of, um, when, when a lot of the days are some, are similar to the previous day. Right? I find that living at a, at a Zen center, it's like Groundhog Day, only Bill Murray is not here. To brighten things, you know, so it's like a lot of the things that like it just happen in pretty much the same as they happened yesterday with the same schedule. We sometimes find that we have the same conversations sometimes about the same things, you know, and it can it can get it can get a little a little repetitive, right? And then we, we start to starts to get a little stale, and we also find that do you not do we not find that about our own mind and our own patterns? Here I go again. With my say, here I go again down the rabbit hole with the same, same response, the same reaction to the to the same thing, and then we we're sort of in that place of uh, of of repeating. And if we find that that is occurring and it's dissatisfactory, then again it's time to apply. It's time to apply practice, a salve of meditation, a salve of coming back into present awareness.
And then the direction on how to do so, of course, is, is, quite, is quite clear at this point. We all understand how to, how to uh, be still and silent. What's more difficult is to really to <clears throat> put in the, um, the discipline of not allowing the mind or the self-identified mind to reach into the content that is appearing between the ears and to become uh, entangled with it and to carry it forward. So we do that a lot throughout our day, and some of it is necessary to navigate the world as, as, as a human being. None of this is wrong. It's just the way that we are. The human condition is just the human condition. Bad or good are, are, are judgments. You know, it's just really we are irrevocably the way that we are. But we see that aspects of um, the human condition um, cause dissatisfaction. Aspects of the human condition are dissatisfactory. And if we can identify those, the ways that we obscure what is really most immediate, what is always fresh and new, then we can come become much more alive in the present. But it really does require practice. The national teacher in this case, you know, in calling out to his attendant, his attendant answers. So there's a call and a response. Very natural. The second time the teacher calls, the student in this case of the attendant, he knows something's afoot. <laughs> he knows something's going on. It's like, did he not hear me? He's like right there, right? I mean, this is the attendant. He'd know if his, uh, if his hearing's gone on the frets or there's some other thing going on. But he knows it's not that kind of thing. He knows, uh-oh, my teacher's laying a snare here, laying a trap at my feet, you know, on, on, on opening one of those bear traps and calling out, hey, he replies, yeah, hey. Now, where does, what does he do with his second response? answers in the same way called a third time answers in the same way you know in my training with uh my study with with tension roshi when he, when he i met him in the, in the in the uk there weren't really any but i knew of um get a solid dharma teachers um there may have been some I didn't know about. Uh, there may have been some people living in little huts in the mountains or people living anonymously. You know, maybe I bumped into uh, a Dharma master in the, uh, in the in the local library of a grocery store and didn't and walked right past them. Maybe it was that way, but I couldn't I couldn't find one. And this was uh, sort of kind of pre-internet or, 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 pre or pretty close to it. And I remember I went on my, you know, when I went on my first retreat, uh, I was a little nervous because it was a very strange thing to do in my corner of the United Kingdom. We're a little more accepting and, and more cosmopolitan in uh, Southern California. 
you know, you can, uh, you can turn up here, uh, wrapped in a, in a, in, in a black robe and it's not too shocking. But in, in, in the UK, that, that, that was a, that was not something people did, you know, you just look like, uh, kind of a Satanist or some kind of dark druid or something. So I remember going on my, on my, on my first retreat and my, my eldest brother, uh, gave, gave me a ride there and, um, he dropped me off and then he gave me this like little talk and he's like, look, if they turn out to be weird or they try and do something to you, you call me. And it scared the life out of me, you know? So I, well, I don't think, what? Like, and, and I remember I had a, a, a cell phone and, and I'm showing, like, I'm getting older here because this was like in the early days, not many people had cell phones, but I had kind of a business job at the time. So I had my, it's like, I don't know if you ever seen Wall Street by Oliver Stone where Michael Douglas's character, Gordon Gecko, he's got a cell phone and things like this big, <laughs> with an aerial coming out the top, like a car aerial, you know, and he's talking to, Charlie Sheen on the beach. It was like one of those cell phones. And I remember I kept it off and I kind of put it under my pillow. And that was my, in case they turn out to be a weird cult, I can call my brother and he'll come, he'll come break me out, you know? Anyway, my worst fears were not re realized, but what I discovered in, in my, my teacher was someone who, um, clearly had something which I was clear about something that I was not. You put it that way. I had a clearer understanding of some principle, which I felt in my heart was a truth of which I wasn't clear. You know, sometimes if we hear a, a good talk or read a quote that strikes us in poetry or a Dharma book or something that's said, something will stir us where we see the truth of something in an utterance. We hear, we hear something. From many different traditions or religions or from secular life, we'll hear something, someone says something, and it strikes us deeply. There's a truth that recognizes truth. You know, our deeper awareness, which may even be somewhat unrealized, recognizes itself in that, in that phrase, in those words. And there's something there with my teacher where, I, ah, this, I'm going to study with this person. And so not too unlike the characters in this, in this koan, you know, that kind of brought me out here and, and continued to practice. But over, over the years of apprenticeship in meditation, we, we really find our legs with it. Although they may be asleep at some times, <laughs> right? Through the long hours that we, that we kind of put into it. Right? But we, we do this practice and it's something of an apprenticeship. We, we work our way through. We look at how mind really functions. We look into the truth of, of impermanence, the truth of how reality really is using whatever lens of lineage or no lineage of religion or no religion, whatever our affinity is in order to inquire deeply into this human existence. Everybody here is is that <laughs> is is a voyager or an explorer of the human condition and through doing so we become we become accomplished 
we become independent. We don't need to rely ultimately on a teacher or somebody to tell us what we ought to believe in or how we ought to understand something. We don't need to become, you know, be a rung down on the ladder to anybody else. We learn from people. We learn from teachers. We learn from our children. We learn from those around us. You know, teachers, the teachings of life appear in many different forms, many of them unwelcome. But as, as sincere practitioners, we learn. We learn and we refine. And then we become independent. We become accomplished. But not accomplished in a way that we need everybody to call us sir or everybody to, you know, um, bow when we walk past or, 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 or anything like that. But accomplished in being a very ordinary person, a completely ordinary human being but one who is not deluded about life. An ordinary person who understands this. When we do so, when we become accomplished in this way, in the art of ordinariness, we find our place. We find our place. We find that it's always the right time. It's always the right place. It's always the right condition. Again, not right like right and wrong, but right as in it is correct because it is so. Each one of us is independent. And yet we practice together. Every one of us is completely ordinary. But that's an extraordinary thing. And now, you know, the key really here in this koan is are we awake, aware, and alive in this present experience? Do we know our home? Again, if we're living in a different version of the world, you know, especially in this time now of competing narrative, of post-truth, of the decay of objective facts and, and et cetera, et cetera. It's so easy to fall into, a, into a, an idea of the world, the way the world is or the way it ought to be. But as, as practitioners of presence, as if we consider ourselves Buddhist or spiritual practitioners, or however we decide to define or not define that, the real test is, do we, are we awake and alive now? Are we in accord with the way things are? When we are, then practice is really straightforward. When our name is called, we turn our head. And this doesn't mean that we need to live in this place where that bell rings 10 times and every time it's the, it's the first time. No, there is. There is the, the first call, the second call, and the third call are different. But in this koan, the attendant knows 
is being tested on something else. Are you alive now? Are you here? Are you here? Are you some, or are you somewhere else? And that's our test too in meditation. So easy to knock it in autopilot and go somewhere else for 25 or 30 minutes, rambling around in the uh, thickets of the mind, you know, not looking at a bit of doing a bit of this and doing a little bit of that. But meditation takes discipline and effort to, to return over and over and over and over again, to come back to the sound of the bell, to come back to being present. We need to, ex I found I need to exercise that muscle to keep it strong. And when I do so, I can respond appropriately to the changing conditions. I don't exercise that model over time. There's some regress. We fall into an idea or a description of the world. And you don't even hear the third bell. I, at this point, I should, yeah, time is getting on. I'll, please let me open it up for for any for any question, for any comment, anything that you would like to raise up, to share, or to ask, please, uh, please go ahead.